now. I've got the microphone in hand. Um, Luke 13, 31 to 35, and the title that I've given the message this morning is The Road to Jerusalem. It's, uh, it's the lectionary text of the morning. And, you know, last week we looked at Jesus in the, in the wilderness and really reflecting on the idea that it was Jesus more than, he, it wasn't about him teaching us to say no, but the fact that he was surrendering and saying yes to his belovedness as, as the one loved of the Father. And today it is equally as an important of a message one, talking about, you know, what's the will of God? Lord, we, we pray for your will to come, and we want to surrender to your ways. His will is to surrender to our belovedness, but the way of Jesus that is completely opposite of the way of the world. And so that's what we're going to look at today is the road to Jerusalem. It's really the road to life by way of the cross is really kind of the subtitle, kind of a long subtitle. But Luke 13, 31 to 35 uh, just at that time, some Pharisees approached him, that's Jesus, saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll reach my goal, or completeness is the word that's used there. It's the same word, by the way, that Jesus utters on the cross. Take note of that. Verse 33, nevertheless, you remember when he says it is complete, it's finished? Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it, it, it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside Jerusalem. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you'll not see me until uh, the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, I ask for grace uh, to, uh, to be able to speak your word and that we hear it and receive it from your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, I think there's a possibility that we're we're the the PC in the back is wired somehow into the sound. I think that's a possibility. Uh, possible. I just want to. My ear is hearing something like that. All right. I want to uh, Luke 13, the road to the the road to Jerusalem. Um, it has been an incredibly difficult week. Uh, in a lot of different ways, but I think one of the primary ways that, uh, that at least for me, has been this, the difficulty of living today in a, in a world where, you know, when in, in years gone by, when we would hear about devastating news on the other side of the world, we would hear it through a news report or on a newspaper that we would get on us, you know, we'd pick it up in the morning and look at it, and today we can see it almost instantly. And there's something about that, by the way, that isn't, I don't know that we're all, that's one of those things that's not necessarily a blessing. Let me just put it that way, right? There's a reason that the psalmist says in Psalm 131, I've quieted myself, I don't, concern myself with things too difficult because here's where we actually are. 
if you have any kind of heartbeat inside of you, we're being faced with things that we cannot respond to on a daily basis. And I, I believe that Psalm 131 is actually an invitation for our hearts to surrender and say, Lord, I cannot fully respond to this, but I want to lean my head on your chest. It isn't, a, please don't hear me uh, encouraging passivity, but I'm just saying it's a, it, it's a rightful posture to care for our own heart. Um, because it's, it's, it's just horrific. Um, you know, one of the things, I, I was reading a pastor that I, I deeply appreciate. His name is Brian Zahn, and uh, he did post something, and he was speaking specifically about part of this war being endorsed by the Russian Orthodox Church. And this was his comment. He said, the most worldly of all worldly sins is war, or to say it another way, Christians are never more of this world than when they believe they can achieve the will of God by killing. Now, that's I, I want to I just sidebar note that this is easy for me to clearly to discern and point my finger at on the other side of the world, but if it's true there, I have to deal with where it's true here as well. Uh, the, even history that is real in our own country that came in the name of God, things like manifest destiny, things like slavery, these are things as Christians, it, you know, trying to inhabit this space called the kingdom of God, we have to discern what does it mean to be a Jesus follower and really understand his heart and respond with his heart, okay? That's enough sidebar. This past Thursday for me, that's the day that I typically try to study and do some writing, and it was just a hard day for me to get focus. Um, and, and part of it, as I was looking at this passage, I, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, Jesus, like, you know, he likens Herod, the figurehead of power in the day. He's the puppet leader of Jerusalem for Rome. But he, he likens uh, Herod and others like him to a fox. And then he identifies himself as a hen offering protection. So, you, you, you know, you protection and provision for the vulnerable. So you've got these two images, the cunning fangs and claws of power. And if you back up in the chapter, there's discussion about Pilate and these religious leaders and now Herod. And then Jesus says, I would have liked to be like a mother hen, a vulnerable mother hen offering her wings of love. So you've got the fangs and claws of power and the vulnerable wings of love. On that same day, as I'm trying to think this through, I'm like, Lord, you know, I want to, what, what are you saying here? I, I, I saw a report of something that was unimaginable. I did not have an imagination that this is something I would ever see. But it was verified through reliable sources that in the city, not, not on Facebook, by the way, but on, from reliable news sources, that in, in the Ukraine, in the city of Mariupol, there were these images, a maternity and children's hospital bombed. Now, I think I've got a few of these images that are up here. I just wanted to throw them. I don't want to spend a lot of time on them. But my point is to see images of women 
in the very last days of their pregnancy, getting ready to give birth. And in this next shot, this woman literally in the stages of giving birth, being carried over rubble out of a bombed-out hospital. It's unthinkable. It's horror to use violent power against the most vulnerable with the goal of bringing human bodies into submission to another government. That's the cunning fangs and claws of power, and it provokes disdain from anybody who sees it, and it should. Now, on that same day, I don't recall if it was earlier or later in the day, I, I came across another report that now is being widely cited as well and verified that we're not even sure how it began, whether it was with one person or with multiple individuals. Nobody knows how it began, but they began to notice something on the first train platform after the Polish-Ukrainian border in Poland. On that train platform, they began to see strollers showing up, and now rows and rows of strollers filled with coats filled with diapers, and now with food, and all the things. Now they're, they're coming to the place now. I think if you go forward there, at least uh, go one more. They've got one particular crossing point that they're literally filling tents with diapers for those that are coming across the border. And, and all of this left for women and children who are fleeing. Nobody's going out there and trying to make it, organize it, but it's just simply left for the most vulnerable. And what a picture. I mean, I, when I first went to tell Denise about it, she said, oh, yeah, I saw that, but I almost started crying. I said, you know, just selfless love in the face of suffering. When someone decided that they were going to extend protection and provision for the most vulnerable, the cunning of the fangs and claws of power and the wings of love. And then, interestingly, this morning, you know, one, one filled with fear, the other the uns and, and uncertainty, and the other filled with hope and promise. This morning, Hammer handed me something here, and I it's just like, I said, are you kidding me? This is incredible. He came across the story of a, uh, I'll be brief, try to be brief with this, but in World War II, a woman in Ukraine helped to hide a young Jewish woman and that, so that she wouldn't be taken by the Nazis. And now that woman is returning the favor 80 years later to the children of that Ukrainian family. You know, in the face of power and, you know, what we might call the, the claws and the fangs of power, and then there's the wings of love. And... Jesus uses these two draft, you know, these two graphic examples. And here's what's interesting about this. He's on the road to Jerusalem. He's had all these reports coming, and then these Pharisees come, and it looks like they're being benevolent, but actually they're just trying to say, leave. And, and it's as if Jesus doesn't understand how it all works. Even by his words. Jesus, the big and the powerful, defeat the weak and the vulnerable. And the only way, by the way, that you can overcome power is with greater power, especially when it's targeted at you. 
So hence all the discussion about how do we get arms to people to try to protect themselves. And yet Jesus says, uh, this is how I've wanted to be, like a mother hen. Jesus, you, you just identified power as the cunning fangs and claws of a fox, and now you're identifying yourself as a hen. Uh, Jesus, do, do you not understand the, the cliche that you don't let a fox in the hen house? Because the hens are going to die. And that is exactly the point. He's not focused on the power systems of man, but on the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father that would remove every obstacle to love by giving himself in love. To heal and to restore real life by giving his life in love. He'll save the most vulnerable by becoming the most vulnerable. He's not focused on man's violent power that's taken direct aim at him. His focus is the cross. The centerpiece of love expressed in self-giving love and forgiveness that's going to provide healing and protection in life for every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever found themselves vulnerable. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. And it's not a road of conquest by power. In fact, that road is paid with the stones of rejection. Rejection that will lead him to laying down his own life to the very ones who are rejecting him. The road to Jerusalem is a road of rejection, but it's also a road that leads to life. Beloved, the good news that we're proclaiming from this passage today is that the way of the cross, the, the road to Jerusalem is the way of life that it is a way to the cross. That, that in the face of every deception, deception of power, whether it's monetary or military, okay, we have our isms. Jesus' path is not about overcoming power against us by power. His work is complete as he gives his life to bring power to the most vulnerable by becoming vulnerable in the face of of life-stealing fangs and claws. He offers his wings of love, bringing healing and giving life. And, beloved, that is indeed good news. You see, what Jesus knows is this. He knows that, that uh, something that Herod and the Pharisees do not know yet, that the contest was never against Herod or the Pharisees, that the contest was for the heart of Jerusalem. Jerusalem represented the people of God. And please hear me. When he says this word Jerusalem, he's identifying every, every man, woman, boy, and girl. And yet he knows that that pathway is paved with the stones of rejection. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you stone, you kill the prophets who were sent to it. Jesus has come for you and for me. And I, I really appreciate there's a, a pastor, uh, Episcopalian priest, who said it this way, Father Mike Marsh, he, he said, he describes it this way, those identifying those stones of rejection, 
are actually stones that we have all embraced. Listen to this. I cannot help but begin to recall the stones that I've thrown, stones of inadequacy that say, stay away from me. I'm not worthy of your time. Stones of arrogance that say, you know, I think I can do it better. Stones of isolation that say, I can do it by myself. I don't really need help. Stones of fear that have built walls instead of a community that welcomes all. Stones of immaturity that say, I don't want to grow if it means I have to take responsibility. Stones of prejudice that say, you're different. I don't like being around you. You're not needed. You're not wanted. Stones of defensiveness that say, don't challenge me. Don't change me. Let me stay the way I am. Stones of violence that deny another person's dignity and humanity. The point being that we've all, we've all struggled with this. You see, I don't need lots of prompts to recall the times that I have trusted power over trust in the wings of love. And I believe that's where the message hits us this morning. You see, as hard as it is for us to see the images of violence and as comforting as it is to hear stories of real compassion, because, you know, there's sometimes when you see stories like this or hear them, you say, there really are humans left on the planet. The reality is that the passage that Jesus that we're looking at here is Jesus' invitation not only to himself but to us because he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to go down the same path that I'm going. And that path is toward a cross. It ultimately leads us to a cross. So am I going to trust in power or am I going to trust the wings of love even when it feels like rejection for me? It's easier, far easier to talk about geopolitical power and it's a lot harder when I hear Jesus giving me an invitation to follow him to the cross and I face the needy. The person whose life seems like a bottomless pit showing up in front of me again. The powerless. The guy whose story seems like an unending story of pain and brokenness, much by his own choosing, but still the same. The ones caught in depression, despair, the hungry, the powerless, the ones that cross our path. Guys, that's where the road to Jerusalem is. Will I trust the wings of love for me and them? Or am I going to rely on power? And I, I this is this is where as I as I think about those two images, I think about where we are in Lent, okay? Uh, I was reading this morning, by the way, I threw this in, I don't uh, th to my notes this morning, but my gospel reading this morning came out of Matthew 20. So, you know, what, what does all this mean for us in Lent? Here's what it means. Number one, 
is that if we believe this reality, Jesus, you've given us an image. You got this powerful image of a cunning fox, and Jesus, you're identifying as a vulnerable hen. Oh, wait a second. Maybe my very posture that I ought to consider to embrace in this season again is that the posture of Jesus looks like embracing vulnerability. Here's the passage in Matthew 20. Um, in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus said, you know that the lords uh, that are around you Lord their authority over you, the, the, those rulers, Lord authority, and the Gentiles exercise authority over, and that word over is used two different times. So the point is, you've seen something modeled. It's hierarchical. There's a guy in charge, woman in charge, they exercise authority over you. Oh, wait, you know what? We've even Christianized that thinking. By the way, that's worth challenging. Jesus said, it's not so with you. I was like a mother hen. In front of a fox? Yeah. And, and Jesus in Matthew 20 said, it's not so with you. Here's If you want to be the, the first, you're going to be last. You're going to be like a servant. You're going to be slave. You're going to be the last. You're going to be the least. And ultimately, to give my life as a ransom for many... Jesus says it's not about power, it's about the promise of covenant love that endures. And will we embrace the posture of Jesus, which is vulnerability? And watch this, he never argues that a fox is not dangerous. They are. And, as my wife pointed out to me, as somewhere in the last day or so as we're bantering about something, he never promises that his children are going to be immune from harm. Just because the bombs aren't falling on us doesn't mean that they wouldn't. But yet his invitation is, here's, here's the posture, vulnerability. Beloved, Jesus' words here are a direct reference uh, to the cross for all of humanity. The one who would stretch out his arms of love that everyone might be able to come within the reach of his saving embrace. That's his invitation for us. These arms of love, the wings of love, is an offering of protection and provision at his expense. That, beloved, is the path to Jerusalem and the way of life. It's the way of the cross. Beloved, the, the cross, according to Jesus, is ground zero for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in my life and in our time, and it doesn't always feel pretty. Sometimes it's straight up vulnerable. So maybe in our Lenten season, you know, it's good that we embrace the fact, I'm dust, God, oh my goodness, I'm reminded how easy it is for me to get angry, how easy it is for me to let stupid words fall out of my head. Lord, I want to deal with this. I want to look. I, I'm dust. But watch this. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to also embrace that vulnerability. In our weakness, in our vulnerability, is the place where his life is revealed. Oh, wait a second. I think I have Bible verses that say that very thing. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So if I'm going to glory about anything, I'll glory in my weakness. Beloved, embrace vulnerability. 
You see, in practical terms, for me, I, I, I you know, when do I want to puff up? Maybe that's a maybe that's a cue to me that there's something in me that still bends towards using power over, rather than embracing the road to Jerusalem. The the second one that I don't want us to miss, and it's important to note. Um, it's one that I hear coming out of my wife, especially over the last two years. She's, I, I think, done a great job at reminding me of this, that, beloved, it is okay to lament. And in fact, in fact, Jesus was not afraid to lament. Oh, Jerusalem, how I longed for you. I wanted to gather you together. The very one who came to restore mankind is not disconnected from their brokenness and from how it's hurting even his own heart that they're not willing to come. That point, guys, is worth a minute to think about. Because the ideas that we have often projected that following Jesus equates to a life filled with joy and happiness doesn't seem to be true about Jesus. He's following the will of his father that leads to rejection, betrayal, broken trust, lies. Oh, wait, all those things that have hit me. And he doesn't dismiss the pain. It's actually worth noting that in the Gospels on more than one occasion, let me point out one of them. He goes to, you know, he's there. Lazarus has died. Mary says, yeah, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But yeah, you know, if you'd have been here, you could have been raised. I know he'll be raised up in the final day. And Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus, but he weeps. There's more than one place in the Gospels that note Jesus' compassion. He proclaims on the third day, I'm going to reach my goal. It will be complete. But he says, how I have longed. We sang this thing this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave. That giving was not pain-free. The pain of giving and embracing the loss and disappointment, an unexplainable loss of trust from the very persons that you've given yourself to love, yeah, he did that too. He knows what that feels like. See, I, I want to submit that part of the revelation of love is to know love that has embraced the loss and pain and yet continued to love. That is the heart of God toward us. Beloved, maybe lamentation shouldn't be such a rare thing in our life. Maybe it should be okay. You say, Lord, I hurt. Where does it hurt? And that we begin to identify that on the road to Jerusalem, this road that we call life, when we identify death and hell in our midst, see, here's part of our problem is our theology has been when we're, it, when we're feeling death and hell, we're sure God's not there. The psalmist locates God, right? I want to I point this out. Uh, the 23, this thing just hit me like a hammer a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh. Not to abuse your name, Hammer, but it hit me like a hammer. Um, but Psalm 23, the psalmist is saying, this is how I've experienced God. It's like a shepherd to me. 
This is what he does. He restores my soul. He brings me to green pastures, still waters. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, all of a sudden it becomes very personal and present tense. You are with me. Beloved, in, lament, in vulnerability and even in lament, I believe we begin to locate the presence of God in a true and a real way. He is with me. Last word I want to say here that out of this passage is Jesus' call us to, re- to return. You know, how I long for you to return. Psalm 91, Luke 13. That, me- that means that I, I have to let go of my right to be my own Lord. In, in this kind of surrender, it, it looks like um, cross-shaped living that looks, that, that according to Jesus, is actually the place where we encounter him. It occurs in this context and other places as well. But the, the, one of the things I want you to notice is that return often comes in a company of friends who are coming to the foot of the cross. And that, beloved, is why the sacrament of communion is in a confession, a, a, a regular confession of the church, not because it's something I have to have or God's going to get upset at me. This is actually a part of proclaiming over my mind, my body, and my heart, oh yeah, you're with me, and you've given me life, and he's with us together. Beloved, the good news that we're proclaiming today is that in the face of every deceptive form of power, Jesus' path to overcoming power is not to overcome power with power, but that He gives his life to the most vulnerable by becoming vulnerable. In the face of the life-stealing fangs and claws, he offers his wings of love, bringing healing and giving life. And, beloved, that is good news. I'm going to invite us this morning to a confession. And then I want to close us. Then I'm going to uh, pray a prayer over us that will bring us to communion. Uh, here in just a moment, but if you're on the call, I want to encourage you, if you have something prepared to take communion, we're going to do that together. But I, I'm going to invite you, if you're able and uh, you're, you're comfortable, to stand with me. But there's a, I want to lead us in this confession, and then I'm going to lead us into prayer as we come to the communion table. And if again, if you came prepared to give, we would invite you to come. If you came prepared to give your gift for the offering to El Salvador, just make sure to note it there. But would you stand with me? And let's, let's, uh, this is a poem. It's written by Steve Garnas Holmes. But I came across this and it just really struck me. And so would you just read this together with me and let this be a confession of our own hearts. Gather me, Christ. Gather me in from my fears and doubts. Hold me under your tireless wing. Shield me from hungers that wander. Guard me from flighty desires. Save me from the evil I would suffer and the evil I would do. Gather me with all your children that I love and those I do not. For we shelter together, but alone wander. Christ, keep me under your covering side, close to your chest, close by wherever you go, so that even up Golgotha's hill, 
bearing the cross with you. I am under your wing. Under your wing.